as was mentioned in our last time together, we live in a world filled with people who want to be told what they want to hear or who do not want to know the truth out of fear that it may weaken their position. I heard a story recently that illustrates this fact. Apparently there was a farmer, we'll call him John, who uh, decided his injuries from the accident were serious enough to take the trucking company responsible for the accident to court. And in court, the trucking company's lawyer was questioning Farmer John, and he said, Now, didn't you say at the scene of the accident, I'm fine, I've never felt better in my entire life? The farmer responded, Well, let me tell you what happened. I just loaded my favorite mule, Bessie, into the, and, and, and the lawyer interrupts and says, Well, I didn't ask you for any details. He said, Just answer the question. Did you not say at the scene of the accident, I'm fine, I've never felt better in all my life? Farmer John said, well, I had got Bessie into the trailer, and I was driving down the road, and the lawyer interrupted him again. He said, this time he said to the judge, Judge, I'm, not try- I'm just trying to establish the fact that at the scene of the accident, this man told the highway patrolman on the scene that he was fine, that he had never been doing better in all of his life. Now, several weeks after the accident, he's trying to sue my client, and I believe he's a fraud. Please tell him simply to answer the question. Well, by this time, the judge was fairly interested in what Farmer John had to say, and he told it to the lawyer and said, I'd like to hear what he has to say. So Joe thanked the judge, and he proceeded. He said, well, as I was saying, I just loaded Betsy in the trailer. I was driving down the highway when this huge semi-truck and trailer ran the stop sign, smacked right in the side of my truck. I was thrown into one ditch, and Betsy was thrown into the other side, into the other ditch. And I was hurting real bad, and I didn't want to move. However, I could hear old Betsy moaning and groaning, and I knew she was in terrible shape just by the sounds. So shortly after the accident, highway patrolman came on the scene. He could hear Betsy moaning and groaning, so he went over to her. After he looked at her, he saw her condition. He took out his gun and shot her right between the eyes. says, then the patrolman came across the road with his gun in his hand. He looked at me and said, your mule was in such bad shape, I had to shoot her. By the way, how are you feeling? The story illustrates the importance of checking into all the facts and gathering the information and the evidence before jumping to any conclusions. And I like that because I think it's pretty good counsel as we uh, continue in our series of messages that are designed to answer the question, what does the future hold? It's important that we look at all the facts, get all the evidence before we jump to any conclusions. As we consider what the Bible teaches concerning future events, we come to an event that God identifies as the Great Tribulation, which raises the obvious question, and that is the question, what exactly are we talking about when we, we talk about the Great Tribulation? And uh, we're going to take a look at that in great detail. Uh, to have a better understanding of this future event, we need to consider carefully uh, the numerous biblical names that are given for this period of time. They include the most common or the most uh, the common or the most uh, widely used term is called the Day of the Lord or the Day of Jehovah. The Bible refers to this period of time as the Day of Wrath or the Wrath of God, the Day of Distress, Israel's Calamity, the Desolation, Darkness, Gloominess. It's also referred to as the Time of Jacob's Trouble, the Day of Vengeance, the Indignation, the Hour of Trial or the Hour of Judgment, the Tribulation and the Great Tribulation. And it becomes apparent as we understand all the names that are given to this or associated with this period of time that it leaves no doubt that it is a very specific period of time with a very specific purpose in human history. What other facts are we given concerning this period of time as we look through the Bible? First of all, we know that the Tribulation will last for seven years. 
If you recall from our study in the book of Daniel, we learned from Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, several important facts concerning the great tribulation. If you've got your Bibles, just to refresh our memories, turn back with me to Daniel chapter 9. And we'll take a look at what we were introduced to as our, through our study of the book of Daniel. It's critical to our understanding of the great tribulation as well as other future events um, that we understand the information that's presented to us in this passage in the book of Daniel, chapter 9, starting with verse 24. Daniel chapter 9, starting with verse 24, I'd like to remind us of the facts that we learned as we went through this in our study of the book of Daniel. Daniel 9:24. we read these words. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So you are to know and discern that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in time of distress. Then, after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. It says, And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week, but in the middle of the week he will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction." One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. As we look at this, the word weeks, as we take a look in verse 24, the word weeks in our context refers to years as Daniel has been discussing the 70 years of Babylonian captivity. Now, further evidence for those of you who may doubt that that's the case, look at chapter 10 in verse 2 and 3. And it helps us to understand what he's talking about in context are not seven days or a week, but what he's talking about is 70 weeks or years. And it becomes evident in verse 2 and 3 of Daniel chapter 10 where we read these words. In those days I, Daniel, had been mourning for three entire weeks. Literally the phrase there means weeks of days or three weeks of days, which has to do with a seven-day period of time. So we've got a clear understanding that in Daniel chapter 9, what we're referring to are 77s or 490 total years. And as we look at that, it becomes very clear from all of this. And if you'll notice carefully that uh, the period of 77s or 490 years in verse 24 specifically concerns, notice what it says, 70 weeks have been decreed or 490 years have been decreed for who? For your people, he is referring to Daniel, and Daniel wanted to know from God what was in store for the nation of Israel, and God specifically told him, for your people, speaking of the Jews, and he also said, and your holy city, which always refers to Jerusalem. And so he's saying that in a period of 490 years that are to come in the future, this is decreed for your people, the nation of Israel, and the city of Jerusalem specifically, here's what's going to take place. And that's what we see here in this particular section in verse 24, that over this period of 490 years, six things are clearly identified. Number one, he says that for, in this period of time, there will be an end or finish the to finish the transgression. Now, the transgression, if you recall from our study, was a specific transgression that the nation of Israel rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that, it, that Jesus Christ came unto his own, speaking of the Jews, and his own received him not. The transgression that is held against the people of Israel is that God sent a Savior into the world and that they rejected Jesus Christ as Messiah. 
Jesus Christ also mentions that, and we're going to talk about this in a second, but the second thing that he's talking about is, it says, and to make an end of sin. That phrase always referred to judgment. So over the period of 490 year period, that God will bring an end to the transgression, which is the nation of Israel rejecting Jesus Christ as Messiah. He will also make an end of sin, which refers to judgment. And it's important that we recognize and understand that because the nation of Israel will be judged for rejecting Jesus Christ as Messiah. The Bible clearly pointed to Jesus as being the one who was promised by God and they clearly rejected him, turning their back on the word of God and turning their back on him. So they will be judged for that. Zechariah chapter 13 tells us that two-thirds of the nation of Israel at the time of the Great Tribulation will be judged for their failure to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. One-third will, will recognize that he is who he claimed to be and, that God, and who God claimed that he was and they will receive him as their Lord. They will look upon him whom they have pierced and they will mourn for what they had done. The Bible obviously teaches that there will be a time of judgment that will come in the future to make an atonement for iniquity. During this period of time, God working... The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.19 that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That in this period of time that God would reconcile the world to himself for those who would believe in Jesus Christ. He also goes on to talk about some positive things as we look at from the standpoint of at the end of this period of time, <clears throat> it'll be a time to bring in everlasting righteousness. And we're going to see that at the end of the great tribulation or the end of the seven years of, of wrath that God pours upon the earth, there will be a time where Jesus Christ will return himself and establish a kingdom that will last for 1,000 years. To bring in a kingdom of everlasting righteousness, when Jesus comes and he takes control and he, and he comes in a leadership position, the Bible says in Daniel chapter 2 that this rock who will come out of heaven will come to earth, establish his kingdom, and his kingdom will have no end. To bring in everlasting righteousness. To seal, up, <clears throat> to seal up vision and prophecy refers to the fact that everything that God says is going to happen will happen exactly as he says that it will. And then finally, to anoint the most holy place refers to uh, Jerusalem, specifically the temple, and in the, in the uh, millennium kingdom of Jesus Christ, there will be sacrifices that will be offered uh, to Jesus Christ, and it will be anointed, and it will be reestablished. And that's basically what's going on as we look at this. So the 70 weeks mentioned in Daniel 9 was to begin, according to Daniel 9, chapter, uh, verse 25, it was to begin, or you will know and discern that from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. He's saying from the moment that that decree was issued, and we know that took place in 445 B.C., Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, it's our starting point of the seven weeks. First of all, there will be seven weeks, which is 49 years, where the rebuilding of Jerusalem will take place. There will be an additional 62 weeks, or 434 years, or a total of, and it says 434 years, if you notice. Then after the 62 weeks, verse 26, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. We know that those, in that period of time in 69 weeks um, that we're looking at here is that Jesus, uh, as he entered into Jerusalem on his triumphal entry that we know as he headed into Jerusalem where he would end up being crucified, uh, we know that he stopped, that there was a triumphal entry that Jesus said that he was told by the religious leaders, hey, make these people stop worshiping you as God. And he said that even if I told them to stop, the very stones along the side of the road will praise God for what he is doing this particular day. So the Bible was very clear that Jesus would come into town, announce that he was Messiah. You know, it's amazing to me how many people say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. I say, well, where do you get that nonsense? Certainly not from the Bible, because over and over and over and over and over again, Jesus was very clear to make sure people realized that he was the one promised by God. He was the Savior and is the Savior of the world. And yet people say, well, Jesus never claimed that. People say that about him. No, he, he claimed it himself. 
I remember specifically talking to a guy that worked for me, and he was talking about the religious system that he that he belonged to, and how uh, people um, and basically they even use his name in their in on their church signs. Uh, but what's fascinating about the whole conversation was that um, I said, "Well, how does a person become a god?" Because he said, "Well, Jesus uh, it, it became a god." I said, "Well, how do you become a god?" So well, you know, you do this list of things. You do this, 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 and this. I said, well, "Let me ask you a question." Now, if you were a liar, could you become a god? Oh, absolutely not. There's no way. I said, well, let me ask you another question. You're saying that Jesus became a god because he was a good person that lived a good life and fulfilled all of these things that you needed to do to become a god. I said, absolutely. I said, now, let me ask you this. If Jesus claimed to be God, not a god, one of many gods, but the god, one god, hear this, O Israel, know that's true. There's only one god. There's one god that Jesus claimed to be God. Would he not be a liar based on what you're telling me? Uh, uh, yeah. All right, well, let me show you some stuff. And you started to open it up. And Jesus, as he went to the crowd, said, even before Abraham existed, I am. He claimed to be God. He claimed to be God, Jehovah God, the one when, Abraham, when, uh, when Moses said to uh, God, hey, God, now you're sending me to, to Pharaoh, and you're going to tell me to tell him to let your people go. Now, who should I say sent me on that mission? He said, tell him, I am. Jesus, later in John 8, 58, reminded the crowd when he said that even before Abraham existed, I am. John 1 tells us the same thing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Before anything else existed, that Jesus Christ was in existence. And that he became man, or became flesh, but he existed eternally. How? As God. He is God. And he claimed to be God. And it said that because he said these things, the people around him gathered stones to stone him to death because he claimed to be God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And there's no way any man can get to the Father but through me. There's only one way, and I'm it. He claimed regularly to be God. And so as we look at this, we begin to realize that, you know, what's fascinating is that they rejected this. And as we look at what the Bible tells us in Daniel chapter 9, we realize that they rejected him. And it was fact that day he looked over Jerusalem and said, if you had only known today, the kingdom of God could have been established in your very midst. But they rejected him. And they will be held accountable for that rejection. So as we look at this, and we look at the 69 weeks, we begin to realize, oh, in fact, there's another prophecy that was fulfilled in verse 25 and 26. It goes on to say, not only would they reject Jesus Christ as Messiah, but they would cut him off, which means they would kill him, and he would have nothing. And the people of the prince to come, a very important prophecy, the people of the prince to come is referring to the coming world leader who has yet to come. But the people of the prince to come is referring to the Roman Empire. So the people of the prince who is yet to come will do this. They will destroy the city and the sanctuary. In 70 AD under Titus, Jerusalem was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, and in fact Jesus had warned that, you know what, before, before this generation passes away, there will not be one stone left on another. This place is going to be desolated. And all of it came to fulfillment exactly as the Word of God said. Which is very exciting because the reason that I get so excited about it is if everything that God has said in the past has come true at some point in the future when it was predicted that it will, those things that have not yet been fulfilled as we look into the future will happen exactly as God says that they will as well. 
So we look at that, and we look at further evidence in Revelation 11, 1 through 3. There's a seven-year period of time that has yet to be fulfilled. There's the last week or seven years of the prophecy that laid out for us in Daniel chapter 9. In Revelations 11, 1 through 3, the passage speaks of the second half of this tribulation when Israel loses control of Jerusalem and for 42 months or 1260 days. And also, the witnesses who will be killed after prophesying, and we'll go all in this into a future session, for the first half of the tribulation are another 42 months, 1260 days. If you take those two periods of time together, you've got a period of seven years, or one week, the final week of Daniel, which has yet to be fulfilled. So when we're talking about the Great Tribulation, we're referring to that seven-year period of time that has yet to take place. Second, the Great Tribulation will begin with a covenant in verse 27 of Daniel 9. The Tribulation will begin with, He will make a firm covenant with the many for one week or seven years. So, this coming world leader or prince will make a treaty that will guarantee Israel's security and also the restoration of temple worship. However, we're told flat out front that at the end of three and a half year period of time that that covenant or that treaty will be broken. Thirdly, it will affect the entire world. It will not be like any previous trial or tribulation. It will not be confined to any geographic location. It will be the great tribulation with catastrophic global consequences. Now, the reason I give you all of that background is so that as we begin to look at this, the, uh, basically three significant things that, that I believe God wants us to understand about this great tribulation, this period of time, this time of distress, the time of Jacob's woes, and all the rest of the descriptions that we have, is that God wants us to understand the purpose, His purpose, behind this great tribulation. And the most important thing for us to understand as we look at this right off the bat is that it'll be a time of God's revenge upon an unbelieving world. It will be a time of God's revenge upon an unbelieving world. The tribulation is God's answer to the age-long question that was asked by the prophets and many since, that, since those days, and that is this. How long will the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? How long will the righteous suffer and the wicked prosper? Have you ever wondered that yourself? Have you ever find yourself as you look at the newspaper and you see the things, the catastrophic things that humanity can do to one another, and even the things that maybe have happened in your own life, that you start to ask the question. And the question is, God, you know what? If there are such things as absolute truth, if there are things that are right and things that are wrong, and if there is a whole concept of justice and that you will do what's right, the question that we have for you, God, is <laughs> why don't we see any evidence of it? When will we see evidence that you really are in control? Why does it seem like evil just runs amok and there's no control or no restraints? Why does it seem like wicked people get away with being wicked? Why isn't there any sense of justice in our culture any longer? How can people do the things that they do and seemingly have no sense of consequence whatsoever? How can we do what we've done in our country in the last year and look at some of the things that have been said publicly and the things that have been done privately and begin to ask the question, well, where's justice in all of that? How can some people be thrown in prison for that and others you say, oh, don't worry about it, he's doing a good job. I mean, how, how, can, how can all these things all go on at the same time? And you have to start wondering and asking yourself, is there really right or wrong? Is there really absolute truth? Is there really justice? And when are we going to see it? When the tribulation comes, that question will be answered. 
because the tribulation is a time of God's revenge upon an unbelieving world. Notice in Revelation uh, chapter 3, verse 10, we read this. Revelation 3.10. Since you have kept my command, he's speaking to the church, he says, since you have kept my command, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. There are several important facts that we're going to take a look at, uh, specifically as they, uh, as they pertain to uh, will the church go through the tribulation. And uh, you'll have to be here in two weeks for that. Next week we've got a mission speaker, but in two weeks we're going to address the question, will the church go through the tribulation? So I'm not going to address the first half of this passage, but I want to deal for our purposes right now with um, where, where God says, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world, notice, global, to do what? To test those who live on the earth. I want to concentrate on the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now, that phrase, to test those who dwell on the earth, who is included in that group of people? Well, the answer is given to us in Revelation. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 6. Always remember the importance of interpreting Scripture within Scripture, specifically in the context that it's written. So as we look at the book of Revelation, if there's questions about interpretation, the answers typically are given to us within this context of what we're studying. So in the book of Revelation, we're given the answer to this particular question, and that is, who are those who dwell on the earth? And how do we know whether we're included in that group or not? In Revelation chapter 6, notice verse 10. We'll start with verse 9. It says, And, we, and uh, when he broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain. Okay, these are martyrs because they had been slain because of the word of God, because they believed God and they believed his word, and because of the testimony which they maintained. These are going to be those martyrs who, when they're given a choice of rejecting Jesus Christ and accepting the world system that they're being offered, they say, no, we must believe God rather than man. We believe the word of God. We believe what God has to say. And their testimony before the world was, you know what, then I guess you'll just have to put us to death. And they were put to death. Now, the voices of those, and which is fascinating, we'll talk about this when we talk about judgment and what happens after we die, but you'll notice something that's very obvious here, and that is what? that those who were murdered, they were martyred, are what? A very alert in this particular situation, and they recognize what is going on around them, and they realize they were killed. They are alert. When you die, you just don't uh, dis disappear or disintegrate or evaporate or no longer are in any type of existence. You are fully aware of what's going on, and we're just going from one place to another, and we'll talk about that in a future session as well. But they are aware of what was going on, and they asked, they asked Jesus the question, How long, O Lord? Lord, holy and true, wilt thou refrain from judging and avenging our blood, notice, on those who dwell on the earth. A very specific group of people, and that group of people are unbelievers who were responsible for the murder of those who believed in Jesus Christ. Now, if that's not clear enough, go to uh, Revelation chapter 11, notice verse 10. Revelation 11, verse 10, we see the same words that are used. And those who dwell on the earth... Now, this is after the witnesses will be murdered. Those who will be standing up proclaiming the gospel, there will be two of them. We'll talk about that later. But two, when those two are murdered, it says in verse 10, and those who, what, dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry, and they will send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who, who dwell on the earth. 
God will have his witnesses and they will be declaring that Jesus Christ is truly God indeed. And that anyone who rejects him is going to be rejected by God for all of eternity and spend the consequences or, or experience the consequences of judgment under the wrath of God. Now these people were going to orchestrate the murder of those who are proclaiming this truth. And after they are killed, they will rejoice, they will throw a party, they will send gifts to one another. Who? Those who dwell on the earth. The Bible is very clear that those who dwell on the earth are those who do not believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in Revelation 13, 8, we see the same words again that are used. It says, and all who dwell on the earth will worship him, speaking of the beast, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of the life, uh, it says a foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb who has been slain, those who dwell on the earth. Throughout the Bible, especially specifically here in Revelation, God uses the term those who dwell on the earth to make us fully aware that he is referring to those who are unbelievers. In Zephaniah 3, 8, we read this. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day I will stand up to testify. I have decided to assemble the nations, to gather the kingdoms, and to pour out my wrath on them, all my fierce anger. And the whole world will be consumed by the fire of my jealous anger. In Revelation 6.10, God has asked how long, as we mentioned, O holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? How long until these unbelievers are judged for what they did? And the Bible gives the answer, Revelation 6.17, For the great day of wrath, his wrath is come. Speaking in the aorist tense that it has begun. And who is able to stand? There's your answer. The day of God's judgment is now starting. Isaiah 34, 8 declares it, speaking of the great tribulation, is the day of the Lord's vengeance. God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay, Deuteronomy 32, 35. And as we consider these things, what's involved in the tribulation, there are very specific things that are going to take place. Number one, there are going to be disasters that take place. Disasters like this world has never seen in all of its history and until that particular period of time. Revelation 6. If you've got your Bible still to Revelation, look at 6, verses 12 through 17. Revelation 6, 12 through 17, we read this. And I looked, and when he broke the sixth seal, there was a great earthquake, and, there was a, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, Joel 2. Uh, 2.30 tells us the same thing. And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree casts its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. It says, And the sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? Could you imagine the scene, the picture that's taking place? The world has never experienced anything like the cosmic and geologic events that God will unleash during the Great Tribulation. The Bible says the sun will become black as sackcloth. The whole moon will become red and stars of the sky will begin to fall to the earth like figs that are shaken on a windy day falling from a tree. It's amazing the description that we have there. The sky was split apart like a scroll and every mountain and island across the face of this globe will be moved out of their places. And those who are on the earth, those who dwell on the earth at that time, will run for they will recognize that this is truly the wrath of God. 
and they will try to hide and they will ask the rocks to fall on them because this is their worst nightmare come true and they can't even get away from it. Have you ever had such a terrible nightmare and you wake up and your heart's pounding and, and, and you got a cold sweat and, and you're just glad you woke up? This day, this period of time, this great tribulation of God, this wrath of God that will descend upon this world will be so frightening to man that they would rather have, they would rather die then see what's going on among uh, that's taking place among them. And yet, you know what? God will not even give them the escape of death. That is a time of tremendous wrath, disaster, death. Revelation 6, 8, we're told, And I looked, and behold, an ashen horse, and he who sat on it, the name Death and Hades, was following him. And authority was given to them, Death and Hades, over one-fourth of the earth, to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence by the wild beasts of the earth. It's projected in the year 2000 that the earthly population will be 6 billion people. At the present projections, that means that this particular verse tells us that 25% of the world's population on that particular, in this particular period of time will be killed. 25% of 6 billion people. The Bible is very clear. 25% will be killed. In Revelation 9.18, we're told, this, we're told a similar thing. And of those who survive, the two-thirds that survive, or I'm sorry, the 75% that survive, a third of mankind, in verse 18, was killed in a subsequent judgment by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone, which proceeded out of their mouths. Could you imagine? In this period of time, within this seven-year period of time, and actually even less than that because it's actually three-and-a-half-year period of time after the covenant is broken with Israel, that basically the wrath of God will be poured upon this earth and half of the people who are alive at that time will be killed as a matter of judgment from God. Fifty percent, three billion people. These passages tell us one half of the world's population will die during this judgment. No wonder the Bible describes terror that's falling on all humanity. People will any question with no wiggle room whatsoever and we hear it all the time in our culture today is this disease or that disease the judgment of God and there's all the debate about whether it's God's judgment or not and you know no one wants to hear it no one wants to hear its consequences of their behavior no one wants to hear any of that they say is this really the judgment let me tell you something during this great tribulation there will be no question in the minds of every human being that is alive and walking the face of the earth. There will be no wiggle room whatsoever. There will be no debates. There will be no discussion. Every person on this planet will realize it. You know what? This is the wrath of God. God has finally had enough of us. Destruction. Destruction is referring to the fact that every, everything that man has ever put his faith and trust in outside of God and Jesus Christ will be destroyed by God. Every religious system, every political system, every economic system, everything that people put their faith and trust in today outside of God himself and Jesus Christ for forgiveness, God will destroy it entirely. Disaster, death, destruction. What else does the Bible reveal about this great day of God's wrath? It will also be a time of Israel's restoration to its promised glory. God made certain promises to the nation of Israel. God made certain promises to Abraham. And God's going to keep his promises because they were not uh, bilateral agreements. Uh, they were covenants that God made and he made them because he sp simply chose to make them. And if you know anything about God's choosing of the nation of Israel as his promised people, they asked the question and God asked them, he said, hey, why did I choose you? 
Not because your numbers were so great. Not because you're wonderful people. Not because, you know, you worship me and honor me and the rest of the people of the world don't. I chose you because I chose you. Boy, I'll tell you what, that makes it real easy for the rest of us, doesn't it? Have you ever wondered sometimes why God chose you? Why God chose to send His love and the person and the presence of the gospel through the feet of those who came into your life to tell you how much God loved you, that God chose you, that God is offering to you a gift of forgiveness and, and salvation in Christ? Have you ever wondered why me, God? It's very simple. The answer is this, because He simply chose to love us. Not because you're worth it and another person's not. Not because you're rich, not because you're poor, not because you're white, not because you're black, not because you're male, not because you're female. Not any of those reasons that you can think of why you would think you are worthy to God. Let me tell you something. There is none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the fact that God loves any of us is absolutely a testimony to the love of God and not to anything in any of us and of ourselves. It is God and God alone. It is by His great mercy, Titus 3, 5, that we have been saved speaking of those who believe in Jesus Christ. There is a definite progression as we look at what's going to take place here. Number one, first we need to recognize something, that there will be a false peace. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 through 3 tells us that there will be a covenant that is made with the nation of Israel by the Antichrist or the coming world later, but that peace will be a false peace, and it will be brought on by a false Messiah. The unsaved world will be enjoying a time of false peace and security brought in by a false Messiah. Just prior to all of these things that we're talking about taking place, the world will think it has never been as good a condition as it is in those three and a half years prior to that. And Jesus warned, when they're talking peace and safety, you better take, take a look at what's going on around you. The world will be caught by surprise because men will not hear the word of God nor heed God's warnings. Let me tell you something about God. God always warns people before judgment. That is the character of God. God always warns people before judgment. God warned the planet Earth before the flood came. And for 120 years, Noah preached to those who were alive on the face of the Earth at that time that they needed to repent of their sins and turn to God for forgiveness. For 120 years, Noah preached righteousness and the people of this world, because they were wicked and they were evil and their hearts were continually thinking of evil things, rejected the word of God that was preached through Noah, a righteous man. They rejected everything that God told them. Lot warned his family that the city would be destroyed, but they did not listen either. Jesus warned his generation that Jerusalem would be destroyed and that it would be destroyed before that generation passed away. And not, every, not everyone heeded his words and escaped the judgment that was to come at the hands of Titus. What we need to recognize and understand is that God loves people. And he warns us of judgment to come so that we have an opportunity to respond in a positive way to the gift that he wants to present us. There are none righteous, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us are condemned by God. We are born with a sin nature. It's a, it's a congenital uh, birth defect. And we are all rejected by God because of that. And if we do not believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and recognize that we are sinners, then God says that we have been condemned already and we are under the wrath of God. The day that you die, 
The day that you die and have not received Christ as your Savior, the Bible says, and then you will be judged. It is appointed for man to die once, then comes judgment. He is warning you today while you have an opportunity to respond that he loves you and he sent Christ to die for you. Have you trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins? If you have not, you are warned by God ahead of time. You will be judged for the rejection of Jesus Christ, just as the nation of Israel is judged for rejecting their Messiah. The second thing is the false peace will be followed by the most terrible persecution that Israel has ever experienced. It will be worse than the persecution of Jews under Hitler. If you have never seen the movie Schindler's List, I recommend that you see it for nothing else but to realize the atrocity that humanity can bestow upon one another. The heart of man is wicked and evil and beyond anything that you can ever imagine or comprehend. And on, a, and on a scale that is that large, six million Jews were persecuted and put to death under the regime of Hitler. And we need to recognize and understand that, you know what, man is capable of such things. And you recognize that even in your own life. Maybe you've been hurt by someone in your family. Maybe you've been hurt by a friend. And you say, how can someone be so evil, someone that I cared about? How can they be so wicked? Because the heart of man is sinful beyond all else. And who can understand that the prophet Jeremiah asked and the Bible says, but God. God understands us. God understands our greatest need is to recognize that we're sinners before God and that we have no hope. We have no hope outside of Christ. We need to recognize it and understand that. Two-thirds of all Jews who are alive at the time of the great, pers- uh, the great tribulation will be persecuted and put to death according to the word of God. And only one-third, one-third in the midst of them will turn to the Messiah for the forgiveness of their sins. Third, the tribulation ends with the fulfillment of God's promises, which are wonderful promises. The resurrection of the Old Testament believers and tribulation martyrs. Read it for yourself in Daniel chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. One of the greatest promises that were made to Daniel was that he would die and not see the fulfillment of the prophecies that God had shared with him. But he said, but at that period of time, at the end of that time, you will be resurrected from the dead. And you will enter into a time of great righteousness. And the kingdom of God will be established here on the face of the earth. And when he is resurrected from the dead, he will be in Jerusalem and he will see the reign of Christ before him. What a great promise that is. And it's a wonderful promise for all who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Those in the church age, absent from the body, we're present with the Lord the day that we die. But there will be a day where we will be resurrected. And we'll have resurrected bodies. And just as Job said, oh, I am dead, I, I will see him through my flesh. One day I will see my Savior through my eyes. I will be resurrected. It's a promise of God. National repentance and salvation will take place for the nation of Israel. God's outpouring of His Spirit, a third of all Jewish people who are living at the beginning of the tribulation, will turn to Jesus Christ. In Zechariah three sixteen through 20, we read, And on that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Don't let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save you. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The sorrows for the appointed feast I will remove from you. They are a burden and they are a reproach to you. At that time I will, de- it says, at that time I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame and gather those who have been scattered. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they were put to shame. And at that time I will gather you and at that time I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. What a wonderful promise that is to the nation of Israel. 
that at the end of the 70th week of Daniel, he will gather throughout the world all of his people, specifically referring to the Jews. He will gather them all and he will bring them home. And they will be in the land that God had promised to Abraham. And on that day, the whole world will look upon them and realize that they're the favored nation of God. And he will oppress those who had oppressed them. And he will bring them and gather them. And he will bless them. And the restoration of Israel will be complete at that period of time. In Zechariah 14, 1 through 5, if you've got your Bibles, turn back there because the last of the great promises that are made by God is that Jesus Christ will return to this earth. Zechariah 14, 1 through 5, what a wonderful promise that it is. Jesus Christ will take his stand on the Mount of Olives, bringing with him all church-age believers to rule with him on the earth for a thousand years. In Zechariah chapter 14, we read this. Behold, in verse 1, a day is coming for the Lord when spoil taken from you will be divided among you. The question is how long until this oppression is over? And the answer is given. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle and the city will be captured and the houses plundered and the women ravaged and half of the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. And in verse 4, and on that day, and in that day, his feet, speaking of Jesus Christ, will stand on the Mount of Olives in fulfillment of Acts chapter 1 where the, where the uh, angels said to the men who were watching Jesus ascend to the heaven, O men of Jerusalem, why do you stand there staring up into the space? Because this Jesus who has just been taken from you will return in exactly the same way that he left. And he will take his stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley. So that half of the mountain will move toward the north and the other half toward the south. And you will flee by the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains will reach Azel. Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. The nations of the world will get gather against Israel and they will wipe them out if it wasn't for the mercy of God. And Jesus Christ will return and he will take his stand on the Mount of Olives and there will be a major geographic uh, shifting, a geologic shift that will take place. And the mountains will move from one side to the other just as it did uh, in the sea when we're talking about the Red Sea and the, and, the, uh, and the nation of Israel escaped through the Red Sea. There was a parting of the sea. There will be a parting of the land and they will escape through the valley and Jesus Christ will rescue his people. What a wonderful promise that is as we look ahead to what God has for the future. It will be a time as we close, it will be a time of great revival over all of the world. It will be a time of great revival, a worldwide revival. During the most difficult trial in human history, this great tribulation, there will occur the greatest revival that has ever taken place in the history of the world. Can you imagine for a second, 144,000 Jews that are basically designated by God to go through all the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. They will be protected by God. They will be unhindered throughout the world. They will be bold. They will be aggressive. They will be sold out for God. And they will be supernaturally protected by Him. And they will have the ability to speak languages and dialects that they've never heard, which is the true biblical gift of tongues. And the gospel, and the gospel will be proclaimed. There are many today who say, but Jesus can't come back until the gospel is proclaimed throughout all of the world. And you know what? And they're right. But let me just tell you something. It's not going to take long for the gospel to be proclaimed throughout the world. And this gospel, Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. And then the end will come. Every person will hear the truth that God loves them that they're sinners separated by, from God because of their sin and that God has a remedy for that 
and that is to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, and then I saw in Revelation 14, 6 and 7, then I saw another angel flying in midair and he had the eternal gospel to proclaim to those who live on the earth, to every nation, tribe, language and people. He said in a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come, which is, is come. Worship him who made the heavens, the earth, the sea and the springs of water. In this great worldwide revival, an innumerable number of people will come to faith in Jesus Christ. Though many will be martyred for his name, he will, it will be the most terrible yet greatest time in human history. Now for those of us who are alive today, I want to close with a very solemn warning. For those hearing these words today and have yet to acknowledge your sin before God, and have yet to accept Jesus Christ as the only answer to your sin problem, to believe in Him for the forgiveness of your sins, do not think, do not think for a moment that you can wait until these days to see whether or not all of this is true to make your decision. I want you to turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and we'll close with this. You say, well, why not? Why not wait to make sure that this is really true? The answer is given for us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Starting with verse 6, we read these words. And you know what restrains him now, speaking of Antichrist or the coming world leader, so that in his time he may be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains him will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then that lawless one will be revealed, speaking of the coming world leader, who will be the one who signs a treaty with, with Israel, which will start the great tribulation. It says, And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay eventually with the breath of his mouth and bring an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all powers and signs and false wonders. And with all deception of wickedness for those who perish... Notice, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason, God will send upon them, whom? Those who heard the truth of the gospel and rejected Jesus Christ as Savior. The Bible says, and God will send upon them who rejected Christ a deluding influence so that they may not believe what is true, but they will believe what is false. In order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in in their wickedness. You know what's a, what's a wonderful thing about God and the justice of God is that no one can blow smoke at God. No one can blow smoke at God. God knows our hearts. And you say, well, how cruel is that that God would, would cause these people to be deluded or deceived by these great wonders and signs that they would not have a chance to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, God knows our hearts. And He knows this that they loved evil rather than good, that they loved darkness rather than light. God knows whether you're here and you're hearing these words and you're just playing church and you're playing whatever with God, but He knows that you like doing the things that you do because they bring some sense of pleasure. And when you hear that you're a sinner separated from God and that if you die today that you'd be judged by God for all of eternity in a place called hell, you don't really want to hear that because you want to keep doing what you want to do. God knows that. And so if you are hearing the words today that God loves you, but you're separated by God from sin, by sin and that you have an opportunity to respond by believing in Jesus Christ and yet you reject and you don't want to do that, 
then God already knows your heart. And if the tribulation began shortly and you live to enter into this period of time, the Bible says that God will turn you over to the delusion that He will send upon you so that you have no other opportunity to respond to the gospel. Why? Because He knows your heart and you love yourself and you love pleasure and you love sin more than you love God. Now the question is, if you're here and you love God and you haven't got that issue resolved with God, then you need to resolve that right now. Because today is the day of the Spirit. There's no guarantee you'll live to live into the period of time called the Great Tribulation because you may not even live yet another moment. That every moment we have is a gift from God. And you need to recognize that and understand that and you need to get right with God. God loves you. And before judgment always comes warning. You have been warned by God that if you reject Jesus Christ, there is no hope for you whatsoever. There aren't, there's anybody going to be able to light a candle for you after you die or pray into heaven after you're gone. It is appointed for man to die once, then comes judgment. Your opportunity is today. Today is the day of the Spirit of God as He convicts you of sin and righteousness of judgment in your own heart and He convicts you that you need to turn to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It's time that you don't worry about what anybody thinks of you and you just get right with God because that's the only thing that makes any difference. Now, for those of us who know Christ, that is why we must have a sense of urgency to share the gospel with all who will listen because the truth is this. The judgment of God is coming for individuals, for the nation of Israel, and for the world at large. We need to recognize that that is what the great tribulation period of time is all about is that it is a time of God's wrath being poured out on an unbelieving world. And we have been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the only thing that will save man from the wrath of God that is to come. Father, thank you for the truth. We just thank you that what you tell us is true. And God, I just pray for all those who are on the fence today that aren't really sure that if they died today, whether they'd go to heaven, hell, purgatory, somewhere in between, they wouldn't be in existence whatsoever, that they would recognize the truth that, you know what, death does not complete our existence but it is a transition from one world to the next. It is appointed for man to die once, then comes judgment. God, I just pray for those who have heard your words and understand your great love for them, that they would no longer run from you, but they would run towards you. They would acknowledge that they're sinners and that they would turn to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. God, if there's anyone that's hearing this, I would pray a simple prayer. God, I'm a sinner. I realize there's nothing good in me. Even the good things that I think aren't good in your sight. And I recognize if I die today, according to your word, that I'll be judged. And that you love me enough to warn me of that judgment. And today, I just want to acknowledge my sin before you. And I want to believe in Jesus Christ. I want to receive him into my life for the forgiveness of my sin. And God, I just thank you that you love me enough to send him to die for me. So that I will not have to experience the consequences of this wrath and the judgment that's to come. Thank you. God, we just thank you. We praise you. We love you. For it's by your great mercy that you save any of us. God, help us to have a sense of boldness to those around us to realize how true your words are. That there is a day that's coming that is a day of tremendous judgment that will come upon the whole earth. There will be a day where over 3 billion people at current rates will die. They'll be separated from you for all of eternity. There will be a day of cosmic and, and geologic upheaval like this world has never seen. It will be a day when men who do not know you run and pray that they would just die realizing that even after they're dead, they still are going to be judged by you because they'll still be alive. God, we just thank you for your truth. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your mercy. But most of all, we thank you for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died in our place on the cross, who rose three days later to prove that he has the ability not only to conquer sin, but also to conquer death. And we just thank you and we praise you in his name. Amen.